about the second week, we started thinking, you know, if we go to a national championship game, how do you get? How do you get to West Virginia? Right. How do you get to Huntington? That's not an easy place to get to. And I got talking to, I have a cousin, George McCabe in Great Falls, and his wife, Connie, at the time, worked for a travel agency. So they started looking at, could we get some charters out of Great Falls? Because they got, they were looking at Missoula. We were all starting to talk. You know, you, you got to start early because you only had a week between. Sure. And... Uh, Lo and behold, we got that chance, and we had one plane, and it filled up from the High Line and Great Falls area quick. We had a lot of Great Falls kids on the team. Uh, in Cut Bank, we had Mike Kowalski, who played. Uh, Valier, uh, we had Scott Curry, and so the Currys and the Kowalskis, and we had all these people from around those areas. They couldn't wait to try and get it. was a once-in-a-lifetime thing, and we had listened to the Bobcat fans tell about their three national championships all our lives. We were not going to miss this one. Hello and welcome to Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions. In this episode, we're joined by former University of Montana Athletic Director Jim O'Day. Back in 1995, Jim O'Day was not yet working at the University of Montana. He had worked for a great number of years as a sports writer, a editor of a newspaper, and then an owner of a newspaper in Cut Bank, Montana, and had also been involved with the Grizzly Scholarship Association in various capacities. And he helped organize a charter flight from folks from the High Line and all around central Montana, including Great Falls, to make the trip to Huntington, West Virginia, to watch Montana's 1995 National championship game victory over Marshall in December of that faithful year. In 1997, O'Day started working with the University of Montana Athletic Department. He'll give you some more of the details in the intro of this podcast. And ultimately, he rose to become the athletic director at the University of Montana. O'Day provides great perspective as a native Montanan who's been involved in sports his entire life, particularly one who guided a athletic department spearheaded by a ferocious football monster in the Montana Grizz football program that had to live up to the expectations that were set by that first set of national champions 25 years ago. Please enjoy Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 national champions with Jim O'Day. Grizz Greats, proudly presented by Blackfoot Communications and First Security Bank of Missoula. Connections are what bring us together, whether halfway around the world or in the office next door. Blackfoot Communications is proud to provide next-generation network infrastructure that enables reliable, secure, and always-on connections. From SD-WAN and firewalls to business voice and fiber, our solutions connect you to your community. Visit blackfootbusiness.com or call 406-541-5000 to learn more. Blackfoot. Connect to more. Very happy to have in studio with us, uh, came all the way down to see us in person, God bless him, <laughs> the athletic director from 2005 to 2012 and uh, working at the university from 1997 forward, but an alumni of the University of Montana and always involved in the what is now the GSA, formerly the GAA, even while running papers in Cutbank, Montana, Jim O'Day here with us. Hello, Jim. How are you? Hey, always good to see you guys. How's it going? Well, it's going great. We're, we're very happy to have you here. Thankful that you came down uh, to share some stories. And this is interesting because just about everybody that we've talked to has been in some way directly affiliated with the team 
and certainly the university during the 95 season, obviously that's the focus of this national championship. You came on board a couple years after that 95 season in terms of your full-time employment at the University of Montana, even though, as we'll get into, you were certainly associated and active with the university uh, in, you know, in the private sector as well. But we also, a lot of what we've talked about, Coulter, in this podcast series has been what 1995 set the table for, for the certainly football program, but the athletic department in general and the university at large. And uh, I think you have great perspective on that. And we wanted to kind of delve into that. But I want to go back because this is something that's remarkable to me. Now, I know something. You know this. But I don't know if you know that I know this. Okay, Jim? Well, you were a student at the University of Montana as luck or providence or whatever would have it your roommate was bill johnston who has also made an appearance on this uh, (laughs) very very esteemed podcast series that we got here and uh and he said that the two of you really became fast friends and i mean you're talking about quote-unquote college buddies just guys going to school not probably a huge thought in the world about what your future was going to be on down the road in in sort of the decades-long sort of view and yet the two of you have had became friends then and then integral to much of what has happened at the University of Montana. What was it like for you and Bill, first of all, when you first got together and were just roommates? And then as that relationship became really centered on a career that had the University of Montana at the center of it? You know, I guess it was just fate. Um, I, I will never forget uh, coming into Missoula, Montana. Uh, we drove in from uh, up the Flathead area. We'd come back through there, and, and my parents were dropping me off in Missoula, and I'd never been in Missoula, Montana in my life. And this was in September of 1975. And uh, we stayed overnight in a motel on Saturday night, and then Sunday we moved me into the dorm, and, and I didn't have a roommate Sunday, and I didn't have a roommate Monday. I didn't have a roommate Tuesday, and I'm starting to think, this might not be too bad. I think I got a single. I've met all these new people, and I've got a single. Poor guys, they're all shoved in this, uh, you know, small little square box. Well, on Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon it was, I went out. The only time I went out to the University of Montana and went and played tennis. Mm. And it was me and, and Monty Solberg and Alan Nielsen, who became a grizzly great uh, great basketball player who died tragically in an accident. Mm. Um Anyway, we went out and played. Well, at the time, Bill Johnston had moved in. And prior to that, he was just a name on the door. And uh, so I walk in. I see the door open. I'm thinking, oh, no. And I've got Monty and I've got Alan. And, you know, Monty's been a good friend for a long time. And Allison, or Alan, I had just gotten to know. And he's about 6'6", you know, great basketball player. And I walk in the room and Bill is sitting in there. Well, Monty left and Alan left and Bill and I sat there, and Bill's fear was that he was going to get stuck with a jock. Well, everyone kept showing up, and he looked in my closet, and here's a football and a basketball and a baseball. And, <laughs> and a guy from Cutbank showed up with another tennis racket. I have no idea why. And he now, he now he's the one that is afraid of what he's got himself into. I will never forget the two of us sitting across from each other in those small, a small little room in right. Knowles Hall in the beds looking at each other saying, do you like to do this? And he'd go, no. And I, he'd ask me a question. He said, do you like to do this? And i go, no. We <laughs> sat there and sat there and sat there. And finally, the one thing that brought us together, I shouldn't even say this, but it's the absolute truth, 
uh, I said, you know what, uh, the drinking age at that time was 18. And when he said, you know, a bunch of us are going down the Heidel House for a beer later. Would you like to go? That was it. (laughs) That was the key that brought us together. And uh, we have been great friends ever since. Uh, Bill is a very dedicated University of Montana person. Uh, we have some incredible stories and trips and things that we've all done together and uh, very, very fortunate to have a friend like that. Jimmy grew up and kept in, came, come to school at the University of Montana like we're talking, but uh, after you graduate, you, then you go and work back in the newspaper business, but I know you always kept tabs on Grizzly Athletics. What do you remember about Grizz Athletics during that time, late 70s into the 1980s? It seems to us, uh, doing our first Grizz Greats podcast, it was all about the Judd Heathcote coaching tree, and it was so stark how much of a basketball school Montana was until all of a sudden it was a football school. What do you remember about just the perception of the football program, the athletic department around the state at that time? You're very true, Coulter. When, when you talk about basketball, I mean, that was one of the reasons it got me here. Uh, I was a UCLA mm-hmm. fan, and uh, I remember we were driving around in Cutbank one night and listening UCLA is playing the Grizzlies in the yeah. NCAA basketball tournament. I personally at that time was probably going to go to Montana State or Carroll, my dad was a Carroll grad, and, and he was crushed that I was going to go to Bozeman because all my friends were going there. And all of a sudden, I started thinking, there's another school, and they can play competitively with UCLA. And so the next day, I went and checked with my counselor and found out they had a journalism department and a business. And I thought, I'm probably going to go that way because, you know what, I don't think like an engineer. Yeah. That, that was not going to be my deal. And so we came, and, and we were part of the old zoo, we would come early. We'd show up at the games, and they'd have the freshman games and then the varsity games. So, yeah, Grizzly Athletics at that time was really centered around a lot of the basketball. And a lot of our friends were a lot of the basketball players over the years. And so football was, um, you know, we probably went to maybe a half or a little bit more of the games. It just wasn't on our radar. And it was out at Dorm Blazer. And, you know, you'd go, of course, you always made to the Grizz Cat game. But aside from that, it was not that big a deal. And so in those years, you know, uh, aside from guys that you maybe knew on the team, it wasn't anything like it is today. And then all of a sudden, uh, we got the stadium. There was as many guys on the basketball team as the football team back then from Montana, right? Oh, pretty close. Yeah, I mean, there was a lot more Montana guys. Do you think that had an influence on the popularity of the basketball team amongst just people in the community? I would think so. I mean, uh, you know, you go back to, and again, you know, the Craig Hinkle, all these guys were in school at the same time, Charlie Yankus, another Libby kid. You know, we had a lot of those guys. And like I said, Alan Nielsen, uh, Jim Malloy, just so many of those guys that were friends of ours, you know, and that's why we went to watch them and, you know, and they they played so hard. And in football, you're right. We probably didn't have Montana State at that time was getting a lot of the Montana kids. A lot of our friends that we knew from high school, from the small schools, were all going to Montana State. And then things started to change. Things started to change. I, one uh, recollection I always remember, uh, and I had just started my work as a sports editor at the Daily Interlake in Kalispell in, it would have been 1980, and remember watching Marty Morningwig come in as a backup quarterback and this small little freshman, it was like, I'm going to take this ball and run it if I have to. If no one's going to block, I'm going. And I'm thinking, that kid is either going to be really good or he's going to get killed playing football. <laughs> right. And uh, Marty, Marty went on to have an incredible career yes, and did. a lot of those guys. And I think that 82 team, you know, started getting people thinking, you know what, we're not too far away. And we had some talent. 
You know, you had the Guy Binghams and the Rocky Cleavers, and we had some extremely, Timmy Kurz, those guys were extremely talented players. And, uh, you know, you start to look back at how good some of the, you know, the Clausens and the, the guy at the Paolis. I mean, there were so many good players that you wonder, how were we not any better? But they did set the stage for what was to come. You graduate from the University of Montana, and then, uh, as we mentioned, you go into the paper business. Uh, you get your journalism degree, and ultimately, eventually, you're owning uh, the paper and cut bank and running that there, but also always sort of had a hand in and maybe maybe two hands and two feet in with the University of Montana, uh, with the GAA at that time. And Bill Johnston, who has been your roommate, ends up being the head of the Alumni Association. And you guys are kind of heads of two parallel, you know, tracks of, of university relations types of stuff. But what was it that sort of got you into that? I mean, obviously as an alumni, but what, what kind of kept you ingrained in that in such a way that you were not just an alumni, but a direct liaison for the university even while you were working in Cutbank? Well, I'm going to guess it was probably about 1984. Uh, and I had moved back to Cut Bank in 1982 when my father had passed away, and he owned the newspaper there. And um, a, a local businessman by the name of Norm Anderson, he was a pharmacist in Cut Bank, all of a sudden he shows up in my office along with two other gentlemen, Harley Lewis and Al Kempfert. Hmm. And they showed up, and we got talking, and they told me who they were and what they were about and, and said, would you consider joining uh, the, the, the GAA at the time? And it was at the Century Club level, which was $100. And I thought, well, that's pretty easy, $100. So that was when I first was acclimated a little bit, Um, probably uh, through Sheila Stearns and then later Bill Johnston with the Alumni Association. I got involved with them and became one of the first Board of Delegate members. I think that was about 1986, 85 or 86. So I'd spent a lot of time down here going to meetings and stuff uh, and, and becoming a volunteer and it was fun to be active. It was fun to be involved. Uh, you know, a lot of my friends that, and a lot of people I knew up in North Central Montana were all big Bobcat fans, and all I had to do was sit there and listen to them all the time. Yeah. So it was kind of nice when we started turning things around, <laughs> and you wanted to be involved in that. And we, you know, we took a, a great challenge. I know in, in Cutbank, Conrad, and Shelby, and Valere, where we started saying, okay, here's how many GAA members we can get. Tell us how many you can get in Lewistown and in Great Falls, and in Helen, and and it was kind of a challenge. And we ended up with quite a few. We ended up with quite a few members who were very active. Spreading a brand like that, spreading enthusiasm for an athletic department, what goes into that? I mean, what sort of factors play? Because as you mentioned, at that moment, I mean, Sonny Holland was kind of the king of Montana, right? I mean, the Bobcats had been rolling. I think that Sonny Holland only lost to the Grizz one time in 11 matchups. They win the 76 national championship. Early 80s, they win another national championship. So Bobcats were kind of ruling the state, but it seemed like Montana chipped away until all of a sudden it was this windfall in the Grizzlies owned the state for so long. You know, I think it was persistence that paid off. Uh, you know, I think we had some presidents who became very active. I started doing a lot of the bus trips and getting a lot of professors and, and coaches and, and things like that out. And, and as you became more acquainted with the coaches that came out every year to, that you met and they stayed with you and you got to know them as great friends, it made it really very easy. And I think they did uh, some remarkable things. Uh, you know, I remember going to events, we'd go to Great Falls, and we'd all drive down there from Cutbank and Conrad and Shelby to go to an event in Great Falls. And, and then they started bringing the spring games around. We had the spring game in Cutbank, Don Reed's first year. 
Brent Peace was the quarterback. We, we froze him to death. <laughs> um, but uh, <laughs> the wind was blowing and it was cold. And, and uh, my coach, Ron Kowalski, and his staff had done an incredible job getting the field ready. And we had a great time, a big uh, to-do afterwards, a big you know band-type deal and, and dinner and the, the whole works. Well, it created so much enthusiasm that probably there were people out there that had really either never been asked to join something or never been asked to be part of something like that. And, uh, you know, it was just a very special time, but, it, it, you know, it was fun. We could not wait for our annual deal when, in May when the Grizzlies would come to, to either cut Bank Conrad or Shelby uh, because it was such a big thing. We'll, we'll do something we have not done on this uh, podcast yet and fast forward past 1995 uh, for a moment. We'll come back to it. But want to get into your officially becoming uh, on uh, coming out of the staff and working at the University of Montana in 1997. Wayne Hogan called you up and said, "Hey, I think it'd be great if you, you know, come work here, come work for me full time. What do you think?" What was that conversation like in what capacity did he want to have you in the building? I think when we first started talking, you know, he was looking to see how we could uh, get things going. Uh, they had had somebody that had just left as the assistant director of the GAA at the time. And so I think he was just putting out feelers to yeah. see if I would ever consider looking at it. And I said, you know what, I, I've been in this newspaper business, you know, almost 20 years. And I said, and I was burning out. You know, I, I'd spent a lot of time in Cut Bank. I'd, I had my newspaper up there for 16 years. And I mean, in a small town newspaper, you're doing everything. Right. You're going to every meeting, you're going to every event. You're taking pictures at every school and you're developing every f- roll of film. I mean, and you're selling advertising and you're s- trying to keep people buying your newspaper. And we came out twice a week. We came out Tuesday and Friday afternoon. So there was not a lot of dead time. Yeah. And I think I was, I was starting to burn out. I really do. And, and the thought of being able to sit around and talk in Grizzly Athletics to people, I thought, boy, it doesn't get any better than this. Yeah. And again, as you mentioned, what a great time. I mean, the timing on everything like that was fantastic. And, and so I started in March of 1998, and, you know, we, we just had a great run. I, I loved working for Wayne Hogan. I loved working with Bill Schwanke. I loved the staff that we were all around. But there were people that I'd gotten to know over the years, and it was very comfortable. And they were, they were all – the people were so great uh, involving you in, in what they had going here. Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, is sponsored by First Security Bank and Coulter. While First Security has long been a supporter of the University of Montana and UM Athletics, people might be surprised to know how much First Security Bank, in fact, influenced the University of Montana program and the path they were on directly. Back in 1993, the Grizz were on their way to their second ever berth in the Division I AA playoffs. Previously, in 1989, the only other time Montana had made it to the Division I AA playoffs. And at that time, first round home games awarded via a bidding process. And so to help support the Grizz football team, as well as fortify the faith throughout the community of Missoula, Bill Boucher, former president of First Security Bank, stepped up to the table to help the University of Montana guarantee any potential revenue lost for the first round of the playoffs. 
playoffs. And, of course, that was recouped in a big way as the University of Montana in 1993 then started the first of 17 straight playoff berths. And in 1995, that local optimism was turned into national prominence as Montana made a run all the way to the 1995 National Championship. First Security Bank is proud to sponsor Grizz Greats and this 25-part podcast series commemorating the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions for Security Bank a proud supporter of Grizz Athletics and the University of Montana. Rewind now again then back to the mid-80s and early 1990s. You mentioned Don Reed, the, the spring game getting played in Cup Bank his first year. But the confluence of events at that moment with Harley Lewis deciding that they were going to break ground and then build this on-campus stadium and then Don Reed coming with this innovative offense and this brand of football you could sell, but also a personality I think you could really sell in Montana too. Those two things coming together at the same time, how much do you think that started to set the stage for what Montana football would become uh, 10 years later? Well, I think there's there's no doubt. I You know, I think, you know, people, I remember when the talks were first coming out about, you know, could we get an on-campus facility? You know, that would make a great difference. You know, I think Larry Donovan pushed that so hard and, and, and getting to know Dennis Washington well and, you know, over talks and, you know, what would turn this program around? What, what, what do we need to make this a really great, great program? And, you know, we always have to go back to those people, those people that had great vision and, and how hard they worked, you know, and then you take the Jim Palmers and the Gordy Fixes and all those guys, Bill Boucher's and people like that around this town that made it happen and made it a priority. The university made it a priority. Everybody was on board and said, hey, let's get this done. And uh, it really turned things around. You know, it just, you know, Don Reed, you know, he was about a 500 coach prior to coming to the University of Montana. Yeah, he'd been at Oregon and he'd been at Portland State and things like that. But um, it all worked out for him. It worked out for his staff. It worked out for his players. Worked out for the fans, worked out for the university. The stadium gets built, uh, opens in 1986, I guess. And uh, for that decade, part of the 95 season, I'm sure you spent plenty of time in the stadium, going to games, being a fan and so forth. How many games did you end up getting to in 1995? And what did you see? What was your experience of that season as as, a, as an alumni and a fan, I mean, you're not, you know, not as a, a member as such uh, employed by the university. Well, one of the things, you know, as I had mentioned, you know, up in our area where we had started talking about joining the GAA, then about two years later became we need to start buying tickets to go to the game. Well, then as the stadium was being built, it became we had to buy season tickets. And we had about 30 season tickets from that group. Wow. And so you always used them. If you didn't use them, someone else did. And I remember probably in some of those years, uh, of course, you know, you had the, 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 the Scraffords and the Houks and, and the McGowans and all those guys when they were all playing, Grady Bennett. You know, you might have missed one game a year, you know, if there was one you had to miss. But by about 1992 or 93, we made every game. And if that meant getting up early in the morning on Saturday and driving to the game in, in Missoula and then going home, it was well worth it. It was a great day. You know, for some of us, that was when I was in the newspaper business a lot, that was my vacation, mm-hmm. being able on Saturday and then maybe stay overnight Saturday night, but be able to come down here and watch the game and see all your old friends. And it was homecoming every time the Grizzlies played. 
And so you didn't miss a game. 95, you didn't miss any games. And we went to like the Washington State and, and some of those games as well. What do you remember about the league back then? Because it seems to me that that was at the height of when the Big Sky was at its most competitive because Idaho was rolling. Boise State was rolling with Pokey Allen. I mean, and of course, Montana was in the midst of its rise. And even Dick Zord hadn't retired at Eastern Washington yet. So, I mean, he had so many powers in the league at that time. What do you remember just the landscape of the Big Sky? Well, there were some great teams. You know, it wasn't too long before that that even Nevada was in the league with us. Right. So you had right. a lot of really good teams. I mean, Boise was always so good. Idaho was always so good. You know, you knew, you know, and you hated to see what they were going to do that they were leaving. Uh, you know, we got beat by Idaho this 95 year. Right. Uh, tough loss, but it just seemed like when they came to Missoula, we beat them, and when we had to go to Moscow, they beat us in those those years in there, the Dickinson years. And – uh but I will I will never forget the last Boise State game in '95. Yes, and it was over at halftime. I, I think Dave Dickinson was done at halftime. Yep, and and thinking this is special. This is one special football team. If we can keep our players healthy, um, did we think we'd win a national? Who knew? Probably. You know, you hoped. I think we had a reality check in '89 when we made the playoffs and we went to Georgia Southern. And Georgia Southern was good. And you wondered, are we ever going to get to that level? And there were so many good teams in those days, Youngstown State and all those teams that you thought, boy, you'd really have to get lucky to win that national championship. But, you know, the big sky at that time had some pretty good teams. Northern Arizona was pretty good. Mm-hmm. We barely beat them that year. Mm-hmm. Um, about the only close game we had that we won, you know, in where it was win, our wins, we just blew everybody out. But – it was uh, it was a really a good league. Connections are what bring us together, whether halfway around the world or in the office next door. Blackfoot Communications is proud to provide next generation network infrastructure that enables reliable, secure, and always on connections. From SD WAN and firewalls to business voice and fiber, our solutions connect you to your community. Visit blackfootbusiness.com or call 406 541 5000 to learn more. Blackfoot, connect to more. December 16th, 1995, Huntington, West Virginia, Marshall, Montana, for the national championship. Tell me your national championship story through your eyes. Well, of course we were excited. Um, I, I remember the, you know, getting into the playoffs and winning the first game, uh, Eastern Kentucky, I, I believe. That's right. That's right. 48 nothing or something like yeah, that, 46 nothing. And we were the eighth-rated team in the playoffs at that time. Yeah. And teams started losing in our bracket, on our side of the bracket, you know, and then the next weekend we played Georgia Southern, which we couldn't wait to play. And it was cold and we just crushed them. We crushed them. All of a sudden other teams are starting to lose. Then we play Stephen F. Austin, crush them. Yeah. And teams are losing. And all of a sudden we're in a national championship game because we got, we got these home playoff games. We played so well. We kept everybody healthy you know, about about the second week, we started thinking. You know, if we go to a national championship game, how do you get? How do you get to West Virginia? Right. How do you get to Huntington? That's not an easy place to get to. And I got talking to. I have a cousin, George McCabe, in Great Falls, and his wife Connie at the time worked for a travel agency. So they started looking at could we get 
some charters out of Great Falls because they got they were looking at Missoula. We were all starting to talk. You know, you, you got to start early because you only had a week between. Sure. And uh, lo and behold, we got that chance, and we had one plane, and it filled up from the High Line and Great Falls area quick. We had a lot of Great Falls kids on the team. Uh, in Cutbank, we had Mike Kowalski who played. Uh, Valer, uh, we had Scott Curry. And so the Currys and the Kowalskis, and we had all these people from around those areas, they couldn't wait to try and get it. was a once-in-a-lifetime thing. And we had listened to the Bobcat fans tell about their three national championships all our lives. Yeah, We were not going to miss this one. And we got that. Uh, i never forget, we got the planes and we got going. At first, My first indoctrination into John Hoyt, who was mm-hmm. one of our great Grizzly greats, investors and donors and and uh, I didn't know who this little gentleman was, but he was having a great time on the plane, and I thought he was probably going to get, you know, thrown off or whatever. He was uh, he was pretty entertaining, and finally someone says, "That's that's John Hoyt," and uh, our relationship at that time started then. He, he was a wonderful man, but when you would come in and you would you'd fly in, and of course you know Huntington is right there, kind of at the corner of Ohio and Kentucky yeah. and West Virginia. And people were flying into airports in all the different states. Mm-hmm. But then when you got into Huntington, where we were all staying, and they had this big hall where they had this big party, as one plane had come in, you could just see it, and it was just growing and growing and growing. And I remember the people selling the beer had run out and didn't know what to do. <laughs> they were not used to the Montana people. And this was early. <laughs> this this, this 7 a.m.? No, you think. <laughs> but you'd see people you hadn't seen in so long. And people, I mean, it was just, it was incredible. I will never forget that because I remember the next year, I took my two older boys with me because I said, I want you to experience what I got to experience. It was phenomenal. Hmm. It was just, it was, it was one of the most amazing things that I had ever been through. And it ended up being an incredible thing for the University of Montana. How, how many people, Coulter, have cited that very party that was – they had the, the area reserved because right. they knew people were coming, but no one had any idea who who was coming, how many charters going to different airports. Mm-hmm. It wasn't – some of it was organized through the university and stuff, sure. but a lot of it was not. And all of a sudden, just wave after wave of grizzlies are rolling through the door. And, and to this day, there are – Several people we've spoken to go hands down. That was the greatest sports slash school slash party moment of my life of that that evening prior to that game. Right. I mean, it seems like that's the moment where it was sort of this tipping point for when people made it a true priority to go see the Grizz wherever they were playing. Why do you think that was, though? I mean, what was the thing that made the Grizz so allure have such an allure? Well, I think it was that, you know, it, it, it had taken a long time to build this success. Yeah. yeah. And all of a sudden, you were at the pinnacle of where you wanted to be. Yeah. You wanted to be playing for a national championship. And, you, I mean, our congressional delegation in Washington had come. To, everybody right. was coming. Right. Right. People who lived in Florida were coming. People, you know, it, just, it, was, a, it, was, it was more than a homecoming. You know, the numbers grow as, as years. I remember when I was on the selection committee and I saw the number and they have the breakdown of how many fans and how many tickets are sold. You know, and people would say, oh, there was 10,000 from Montana. It was really probably closer to three in reality is what it shows. I think the ticket sales were 2,500 and you probably had another 500 bought them elsewhere. But it's still, when you take 2,500 people or 3,000 people that are around Montana and you find them on the other side of the country – 
Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. And I, I don't care what school you're at. I mean, if you're a big school and you're going to bowl games, you're not getting a lot more than that. Right. There's a, certain di- there's a certain dynamic, too, that, you know, with the exception of the oats and barley that all the beers made with sports is Montana's greatest export, right? Oh, I mean, true. it's the, it, that was sort of the moment where Montanans had a chance to be on the national stage collectively for the first time. But do you think having a quarterback from Montana, particularly from your neck of the woods, galvanized people? Do you think that Dave Dickinson was a huge factor in this as well? I'm never going to give Dickie that much credit. <laughs> <laughs> he he would say the same. You know, I I was very fortunate in that Mike call or Mike Kowalski roomed with Dave right. Dickinson and uh, Jamer Bartell and, and guys like that. So we got to know kids on the team over. And of course, Matt Kempfert, we got to know through Al Kempfert. So I mean, we knew some of the kids on the team. Um, you know, Dickie just was one of those guys that just exemplified everything that was good about Grizzly Athletics mm-hmm. at the time. You know, he was a hard worker. Of course, everybody had him going to med school. Um, he was not always sure that that's what he wanted to do. But, you know, Dickie's a smart guy, a good guy. I got a chance when he one year when we went and played in the GAA golf tournament, and he was on our team, and he hadn't played golf in a while. And the putts he made over and over and over again, you're thinking, this guy, no matter what he does, if he plays hockey, if he plays basketball or whatever, but he makes you win. He makes you win. And uh, I, I think that extra special thing, you know, Johnny Edwards did it mm-hmm. the same way. You know, just willed you. To, Dave was beat up in that national championship yeah. game. Yep. That kid hardly had a wing to throw. You know, guys like that, people rally around that. And you see that in all levels of football when they rally around. And, and I think that was kind of what day they, they, everyone rallied around him and, he maybe have not had his best physical situation at the time, but he was not going to lose. You have uh, the game, and we all know, you know, you got the safety, the drive, the kick, all you know, everything that goes into it. When, when the game comes to a conclusion, and it's the Grizzlies are national champions. What, what was your experience of the? the minutes and hours after, just sort of in the immediate aftermath. Obviously, great celebration, but also sort of a. All of a sudden, you break like all, all the anticipation to do this, and now it's done. And then what? Well, I, I remember us lining up for that kick. Uh, I remember Mike Elhart catching that fourth down pass, yeah. which was you know again. I always said if we had to play that Marshall team ten times, we might have beat them once. They were so talented. I think they had three or four kids go in the NFL. I mean, they were a, a talented team, and that was before they had Randy Moss the next year. But and I, I can still remember my ears still kind of hurt uh, from people that were adding all these Clorox bottle uh, whatever and full of rocks and just shaking <laughs> those things. The whole, oh my God, I'll never forget that. You're just going about half crazy because it was on and on. And uh, when Andy Larson lined up for that kick and thinking, I hope people realize how big this is if he makes this. This is this is bigger than most people realize, and I hope we're ready because it could turn things around. And uh, you know, from my angle. Where we were sitting, you couldn't tell if the kick was. Uh, you're just sitting and waiting, waiting to see what that referee's going to do. And we raised. It was, it was just. It was stunning. And then afterwards, going down, and we were down on the field. Of course, we saw the Kowalskis and the the Currys and, and and all those different people. And it 
And then I remember getting ready to leave, and I can still picture Bill Johnson trying to hand out beer. They had given up trying to sell beer. They were just (laughs) handing it to anybody that walked by. And the place was nuts because we had to get back on the airplane and fly back home. Right. But um, I think it was just, it was nice just not to hear the the rocks pounding in those those containers at the time. But it was numb. I, I, I think you were numb. You know, you just kind of sat there and thought, wow, this is huge. Chris Grace, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions Podcast Series commemorates Montana's epic run to its first national crown. Now you have a chance to own a piece of history by purchasing a custom piece of art specifically commissioned to accompanying this epic archiving of history. The one-of-a-kind painting features Hall of Fame quarterback Dave Dickinson, legendary Grizz head coach Don Reed, and Andy Larson, the Helena native who drilled the game-winning kick to lift Montana to a 22-20 victory over Marshall on December 16, 1995. Secure this limited edition work of art while supplies last to ensure no Grizz fan ever forgets that historic moment. To purchase number 195 championship, a one-of-a-kind painting by former Grizz wide receiver Ryan Bagley. Visit rbagley3.com or check out grizzgreats.com and click on the link, or you can visit the ESPN Missoula Facebook page for more information. From full-size canvases that are professionally framed to prints, hooded sweatshirts, and T-shirts, don't miss your chance to get this one-of-a-kind painting by a Montana artist for the great people of Montana. Visit rbagley3.com or grizzgreats.com to make your purchase today is there any chance that if that kick doesn't go in and montana doesn't win that national championship that you don't end up at the university oh i i think there could be yeah i i think there could have been a chance you know getting to those championship games at the time for a while it seemed like it was easy right because we were getting there a lot yeah um but, but you, but you out, got there a lot after that because you broke through the first time, right? I mean, true, it's, true. you you, you got to get the first one to get the, yeah. any more. Yeah. And yeah I, it's, it, it, it's, it's hard to say. You know, I, I was ready for a new challenge. Um, I, I really liked the people that were at the University of Montana. Yeah. Um, great people to work with, hard workers, dedicated. They were not people who looked at the clock to see, you know, how much time have I got left before I can go home. It's kind of like do I'll, I'll, I'll work as hard as I can. I mean, they, you still have the, the Janie Hates and the Sue Demers and stuff like that that I don't know if they ever go home still. Right. I mean, they whatever it takes, the Chuck Mays, whatever it takes to get to get the place ready and going. And, and they were, they've been there a long time, and it's, it was good to work with people like that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I guess I never really think about that. I just remember how much fun it was. Yeah. When it comes to just the brand fortification, the getting the name out there, the enthusiasm for the University of Montana as a whole in the state of Montana, did you notice a, a big uptick after this 1995 oh national championship? Oh, boy. Yeah, yes. Number one, it was fun to get back to northern Montana. Oh, yeah. Because you never heard from a Bobcat fan for a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and then they then they congratulated you. And, and you realize how special it was. Because I – you know, one of my great friends, Butch Damberger, played on the 76 mm-hmm, mm-hmm. team. 
And of course, you know, the, the Tom Mellons and all those guys that played on the 84 team for the Montana state. And you realize how lucky were those guys, mm-hmm. you know, um, and, and you respect that you respect what they had to go through to get there because it was it, it, I mean, you think of things that could have happened. I mean, remember the year before Dave Dickinson got hurt right. a lot of different times and you know, we weren't the same team a lot of the times without Dave and you know, one little thing could go wrong. That kick doesn't go through. You know, it didn't make it by many feet. It was pretty close. And, you know, that fourth down play, you know, th- there were so many things in that Marshall game that could have gone another way. You know, the, the the penalty the one kid got for a late hit and just a lot of different – the uh, tackling Pennington for a safety. Th- those are a lot of different things that could have cha- changed the whole situation and, and, and how our football program be- went. From a, from a Big Sky Conference perspective, it had been such a stacked league. Then Nevada, Idaho, and Boise State all leave in short order. I think a lot of people around the league were wondering, where does the league go next? Who's going to carry the flag? And then Montana breaks through and then is among, if not the most dominant FCS program, Division One AA programs in the country. But it's so interesting to me to think of the state of the big sky at that moment and then the state of Division One AA football at that moment as well because until that 95 national championship, Montana was chasing quite a few teams they were chasing the georgia southerns and youngstown states of the world and then all of a sudden it flipped mm-hmm. and then everybody's chasing montana so have you considered that the way that the grizzlies were able to entrench themselves as sort of the flagship school in the big sky conference how much do you think they had an influence on the league and the division as a whole well i think it goes back to what you said once you get that first one yeah you kind of relax i don't mean relax wrong but but we can play. do this the pressure do th- the yeah. pressure yeah. we can do this you know we knew it was attainable you know, after 89, I don't know if we realized that it was attainable. Right. You know, I mean, we saw how good Georgia Southern was. I mean, they For were sure. good. And then you watch those other teams over the years and how good they were. And all of a sudden, we were that team. And then the next year, we showed how good we were. Now, yeah, we got beat in the championship game, but I know a lot of the top uh, FBS schools <laughs> that would have got beat by that Marshall team. No doubt. I mean, they had Harry Kresser and they had in the history of football. So. Randy Moss. And, I mean, they had a, a, a great, great team. And I remember we're playing them at home. <laughs> you know, right. it's not like it's a neutral field. Um, but I think we realized that, you know what? we And the kids took great pride in it. You know, that was the, the neat thing because you saw all the kids – and to, still today, you know, I still see so many of those 95 guys. And every time I see them, I think, they changed this university. Mm-hmm. They turned this university. I don't care. I mean, that's my own personal opinion. But they changed what happened at this university. You come on board in, offici- in an official capacity, a salaried position uh, in 1997, athletic director in 2005, a position you held for seven years. And in the 15 years from – that 95 national championship to through through the aughts. Montana was absolutely peerless in terms of what they accomplished in total as, as a football program during those times. Two national championships, seven national championship appearances, um, and did it from Reed to Dennehy to, to Glenn to Hauk uh, to Flugrat, like all the way through. So clearly this is about a program and a university as much as it's about a coach, and even though we center on the, 
the 95 team in this series. I want to hear your thought about that period of time, which you were there for almost the entirety of, including the athletic director for the second half of that period of time. Why was the university able to be so dominant in football during that period of time, regardless of, of, of who was kind of at the helm? And also, you know, you can allude to that 95 team and what they did. You already have to set the stage for that. But what, why was that possible? Why, why did that happen? You know, again, a lot of things, chemistries all have to come together. And there are the chemistries from the administration at the top level. You know, one thing about George Dennison, he was a football fan. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No ifs, ands, and buts. I mean, he studied the game. I mean, he would ask me at different times, you know, Jim, third down and five, why did we run the ball? <laughs> and I'd say, go talk to the coach. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't call it. Yeah. But, I mean, he, he, he – so it started from that level down through administration. We had great people. I mean, we had, we had great people working in the – and we had great coaches. And we had everybody working together, and the kids – were great. They were good kids. They had great Montana values. We had so many of the people that would do anything to win. They worked, outworked everybody. It, and, you know, it just goes on and on. You, you watch what Bobby's kids, look at how fast that has turned. They, he's got that mentality in him. You know, they're going to work hard. They're going to handle what they can handle. He'll take care of the rest, you know, him and his coaches. But here's what you got to do to get ready, and you get ready. And the staff was the same way. You do what you have to do to get ready. I said one story I will never forget. I remember when I was on the selection committee, and, and we were getting ready to – we were talking about doing the, the Montana-Appalachian State home-and-home. Home. Uh, Charlie Cobb was now at Georgia State. Charlie was at App State at the time, and uh, we great friends. And we were working to try and get this, and we were talking to – and I can't remember her name, but she was head of programming for ESPN. And she was with us at this meeting – and we were telling her about this and that our philosophy at the time was we wanted to start playing some games across the country with big time to get more exposure for our level of play. And we thought if we could do that, and, and we were in the, talking with the James Madison, and we were talking with Delaware, and we are talking how could we work these things together, and we pulled out North Dakota State and things like that. But as we were talking about playing the games, we said, would you guys consider at ESPN – televising the Montana Appalachian State. And I will never forget her answer. She looked at both Charlie and me, and she said, we'll do it in Montana, but not at App State. <laughs> and we're like, well, what's wrong with App State? And they had beaten Michigan yeah. not long before. Right, they yeah. were, they'd won three national championships not long before. Yep. She said, our people have gone to Montana, and it's been amazing for them. All they do is talk about it, and everyone fights to be able to do that Montana game. They want to come to Missoula, Montana. It was that special. And I thought, wow, we are there. I mean, that, that to me well, and that brought game it home. was one of the great televised sporting events it, probably in ESPN history. I mean, you're a little centric being when in Montana. Played, but, I mean, the yep. snow, the fans, the game that it was, I mean, unbelievable. Yep. I guess that was the, the, playoff the playoff game, yeah, right? Yeah. So different from the scheduled game. But still, I mean, that, that – Yep. That gets people wanting to oh. come to Montana, right? And you got to remember, that year, that game in television ratings was the same televised ratings as Notre Dame-Michigan. Wow. That never happens. Unbelievable. But you got to remember, there was no other games that day. Mm -hmm. uh, it was in December. It was right before a Heisman Trophy when no one knew who the real winner of the Heisman Trophy would be. Mm -hmm. People turned on the set to maybe get ready for the Heisman Trophy. or The only game was on TV, and 
all of a sudden here comes the snow falling. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's beautiful and the crowd's loud and it's going right down literally to that last second, you know, of us knocking the ball away. I mean, it was well, and I think was it Tremaine Johnson knocked the ball away mm-hmm. from the receiver who went on to play in the NFL. Yep. I mean, you you had every element you could have in that game, and the television ratings were just. I, I remember at the time, they were so far above any other FCS Division One AA game ever. You know. The the expectations that were initially set in 1995 and then continued to grow all the way up through the mid-2000s, the late 2000s, uh, I think that it created this environment at the University of Montana where excellence was absolutely the expectation. I remember I wrote a story about you for the Montana Kaiman when you were the athletic director. I think you'd been on the job for two years. But coming out of the 2006 academic year, I think there was two schools in the United States of America that had had undefeated conference champions that played for a national championship of some sort or a national playoff in football and uh, NCAA basketball team in both men's and women's basketball. Montana was one of those. So at that moment, Jim, I mean, you have a football team that literally loses one Big Sky Conference game in four years. You have Robin Selvig throwing down not 20 win seasons, 28, 29, 30 win seasons, and you have a basketball team that wins a game in the NCAA tournament. At that moment, what was it like to be a part of Montana Athletics? That was great because you had you had every you, you also had all the if if you were a student athlete in volleyball, you were going to the men's basketball game, and if you were in men's basketball, you were going to the women's soccer game. Our student athletes were close; they were very close. The coaches were very close. It was everybody. We were all big part of a team. Y'all win together, you lose together. When you lose, it's tough, and and people are tough on you. So it's kind of nice to have your own little gathering. I felt that athletic department at that time was so close. It was so close. And yes, there were pressures, and there are always going to be. I mean, always, as I would tell everybody, when you're at the top, people are trying to knock you off, and they'll try anything to knock you. We can see that in today's political seasons. You know, no, 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 no matter who the candidate is, somebody's trying to knock them off with half-truths, truths, whatever. It was the same thing at that time. You always had to be prepared that you were going to get knocked off. Somebody was trying to knock you off, and they didn't care how it happened. Colter, in 1993, the Grizz football team was looking to host its first playoff game of the decade and just its second season of playoffs in school history. As we know, you got to have some financial backing to guarantee a home game. And former First Security Bank president Bill Boucher stepped up, spearheading a group of local business owners to guarantee that bid for UM Athletics. And that commitment from First Security Bank to UM has never wavered. Bill Boucher, Gordy Fix, Several other business owners around the city of Missoula certainly had a huge influence in stepping up. Certainly some of the first true believers in what Grizz football could become and what they could mean to the Missoula community. Two years later, in 1995, the University of Montana had turned that local optimism into national prominence. The Grizz won the Division I AA National Championship, the first national title in the history of the university. And 25 years later, First Security Bank is still proud to sponsor the Grizzlies. First Security Bank, a presenting sponsor for Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions, a 25-part podcast series remembering that epic 1995 season. First Security Bank, proud sponsor of Grizz Athletics and the University of Montana. The University of Montana now, you 
alluded to the return of Bobby Houck and uh, the the turn for the better that you've seen on the football field uh, to this point, just a couple years in. Uh, but also sort of the climate just in general, I think, in Missoula and, and sort of surrounding the university and Grizz Athletics uh, has shifted and it has been, you know, maybe not as high as it was during, you know, the late 90s and 2000s and now maybe building a little bit more again, uh, but probably not back to that fervor in general where it's sort of the community you're, you aren't missing a game period, end of story, no matter what. If it's Saturday, this is my vacation, this is what I'm doing. Maybe the student section to some extent as well. What do you think needs to happen to do that? Is it just a matter of winning and being dominant on the field, on the court, or, or is there more to it? You know, I think there has to be more to it. I was uh, The other day I was talking to Jeremy Jorgensen. Some people may remember him. KPAC's here yeah. in Missoula, and, and he's been handling um, the media rights out at North Dakota State. Uh, mm-hmm. He just left for a consulting job uh, that he'll be out there, but he's away from the university. And we were talking about this the other day, and he said, you know what, even at North Dakota State, and uh, the, 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 the size of the crowd is getting smaller. Uh, and it's not because they're not good, because they're really good, but they're starting to get a little bored. And so mm. you've got to always – one thing I, I, Wayne Hogan always preached to us, and I thought it was very important. He said, you got to remember – this needs to be treated like Disneyland. Mm-hmm. You have got to entertain people. And if you don't entertain people when they're spending this kind of money, they're going to quit coming. So you've got to find ways to entertain. I always felt, too, you can't always just entertain by the football program. Yeah. You put too much pressure on these young men. I mean, you got to remember, they're 18 to 22 years old, and they got a lot of things going. So you've got to find some other things. Now, how do you find that in today's world? Because people expect so much. It's hard. Mm-hmm. Some people love the tailgates. Some people go to the tailgates and don't even go to the games. But that's across the country. You know, there's just not a magical box. I mean, there's even Duke basketball. It used to be you couldn't get a ticket to a Duke basketball game for anything and that students wouldn't. Now there's spots. In, they don't sell all their student tickets anymore. You know, Gonzaga's different. They don't have football. And they have a smaller facility. But there's just not that real magic, and I don't know what's gonna what it's gonna take. I mean, to be able to do what we're still doing here is pretty incredible, pretty incredible to still get twenty five thousand fans into a football game and then have such a successful men's and women's basketball program that you're drawing so many because a lot of people only have so many entertainment dollars, and it's not cheap. College athletics is not cheap. Pro, look at the pros, what it costs. So you have to make a choice, and it makes it tougher. It really makes it tougher. Well, Jim, this has been phenomenal. Thank you so much for being here, for sharing stories, memories, taking us through, oh, what, 40 years or so of uh, of high school through <laughs> professional, through national championships and beyond. We appreciate it very much, your perspective uh, and your time. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening to Grizz Greats, the silver anniversary of the 1995 National Champions. 
America's Grace is available on all of your podcasting platforms, whether you use Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Transistor. Please rate, review, subscribe, and share. To find all the Grizz Greats, you can just search Grizz Greats on your platforms, or you can visit grizzgreats.com or 1029ESPN.com and click on the podcast tab. Grizz Greats is proudly presented by Blackfoot Communications and First Security Bank of Missoula.